you would do me a favor, open up your Bibles, Acts 24, Acts 24, and I, I also want you to open up your Bibles to first, sorry, for a second, I lost my... I turn this off. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. Um, if you don't have a Bible and um, you would like to follow along with us, you can turn to page 933 in the pew back Bible in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to gift you a Bible. That is yours. You can have it here at the chapel. We study God's word. We read God's word. We believe in God's word. Also turn to First Corinthians 15. That's on page 961 in the pew back. We're going to flip back and forth a little bit because um, there's some good things um, in, in, in this passage. Um, so I was thinking about this message this week and um, the, the, the title, I actually kind of messed up on the title. Technically the title is supposed to be called The Unifying Message of the Church, but for some reason I put The United, United Message of the Church um, when I sent it to the communications department and then when you kind of mess up, you're kind of like, oh, you don't want to tell nobody. But I just told you guys and many of the people in the communications department in this room. Anyway, um, so, so the title of, of today's sermon is The Unifying, or as the screen said, um, United Message of the Church. And, and I, thought, um, I thought about messages, and then I thought about slogans, right? Like, have you guys ever, th- are there like some slogans? Um, I'm thinking about um, companies, right? Like some, what are some successful companies that you know of? Like some of the, the companies that you are aware of that like are really good at what they do. They're really good at messaging, right? Like they're really good at slogans. Um, I thought of, of one, right? Nike, what does, what does, what is Nike's like slogan? You guys are smart. I like this class participation. That means that you guys are invested for the next two minutes. Um, the other one I thought about, and I don't know if they still do this. I haven't seen them do it, but this is one that I, I'm showing my age. I'm old. It's fine. I've come to terms with it, I think. Um, the, the other one that I remember as a kid was um, McDonald's, right? McDonald's said, um, um, I'm curious of what you guys say. What, what do you think McDonald's used to say? Yeah, I'm loving it. Um, <laughs> is it that bad that I sang that? that, that? Okay. Um, before, the other one was too, I think this is maybe before my time or maybe I remember, I vaguely remember, I don't know if it was after, I'm loving it. Um, the other one, have you had your break today? That was McDonald's too, right? So like you think of, you think of like uh, companies like that, like, like really successful companies who have really good branding. Um, oh, this is a good one. This is more recent. This is um, for you Gen Z, maybe, and millennials. Um, what does Verizon, remember the famous commercial with the guy in Verizon? What do you say? Can you hear me now? Yeah, right? Like, isn't that, like, yeah, I can hear you. Um, because this idea is like, they, they always have service. You'll never drop a call. Right, yeah, okay. <laughs> Got them. Like, like yeah. Um, uh, the, oh, this is a good one too, Apple, right? Apple, Apple has a good one. I, I don't think they show it much, but it, it's actually, um, Apple does like think different. I think that's their thing. Or I think it was their thing. Yes, I mean, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, right, like, so you think of like messaging, right? Like good messages, slogans that like trigger um, the company's like symbolism, right? And, or what if, what if a company doesn't have a good slogan or a good message, right? But, but they have a good vision. Like we, we all like what they do. They provide a service. Um, I think of Amazon. Everybody has Amazon Prime right here, right? Yes, raise your hand. Is that a, like, was that funny? How many of you have Amazon Prime in the room? 
Yes, okay, I don't, by the way. Um, ha ha, joke's on you. Um, Amazon doesn't have a slogan, but what do they have? They have, they have, okay, some people say it's a smile. It's not a smile, it's an arrow, right? And where does the arrow start? It starts at the A and it ends at Z, right? So what's the idea? The idea is like they have everything from A to Z, right? Oh, some of you like, oh my gosh, you guys got excited about that. You just learned something from me. Oh, that's good. I thought about that all on my own. I was like, that wasn't somewhere I read, right? Like you think of companies like, like maybe Tesla, right? Like you love what they're doing. They're trying to be eco-friendly and, you know, re renewable resources, whatever, like, and battery, whatever, thingamajig of Tesla. Like you look at Tesla, you're like, that's cool. I like what they do. I would love a Tesla, right? Or, or Disney, right? Disney's a good one. Disney doesn't have a slogan. By the way, we have an issue in our church. Are you guys ready? No, seriously, you guys laugh. There's an issue in our church. We have people who are obsessed with Disney. It's like a cult here. Like, like I don't get it. They go on vacation, three, four, like with the world that God has created, the place that you wanna go to is Central Florida. Right, like, like think about that. Like God has created this great earth that you can go on a cruise to see the ocean. You go to Europe, you go to Africa. No, we want to go to Central Florida <laughs> to go see a mouse. And we're gonna make our husbands wear bunny ears or whatever you call those things. And we're all gonna get matching t-shirts and say, we're on vacation. Like as though everyone else wants to be there, no. I'm thinking of like the Bensons and the Coopers. <laughs> who else? The Smiths, we got a couple over here. People who are upset, we have a problem. I'm, you guys laugh, but this is a problem when people wanna go to Disney World four or five times a year. It's weird. The book bag, and then they get the watch with the bunny thing, and it's like, the men start dressing weird, and it's like, what happened? What happened to our church? So you think about, I'm going long on this introduction, by the way. You think of Disney and then Disney, you know, they don't have a slogan, they don't have a slogan, do they? No, but they have that thing, right? The, the shooting star. I'm over that, by the way. That's like too much. All their movies are like 90 minutes. Like Disney knows what they're doing. They have your kids hooked. 90 minutes. That's it, right? Like that, that's a company that we look like, oh, like we, we, we know what they're doing. Like we like um, the, some of the things that they offer, right? Like you think of companies like that, or you think about Netflix, right? Like Netflix offers a service that not many people can offer that they're trying to offer now, right? Like remember back in the day, everyone complained about like, oh, cable's so expensive. And now it's like, oh, streaming is not so expensive because we have like the five streaming services now, right? It's so weird. So, but we all love those things, right? We all, we're gravitated by that. We're motivated by those things. Like we get excited about the, those things, but... <coughs> Excuse me. I thought about like this idea, right? Like we, we're often drawn to companies and, and businesses that have like good messaging, right? They, it clicks, it makes sense to us. And then, then we have like companies who have good values or values that we like or, or like strategy and vision that, that we kind of uh, lean towards and, and we're gravitating to that. But like, what about the church? What, what's the message of the church, right? What's, 
What's that? Like, what, like, we are a universal church, meaning the chapel here is a, a body of believers connected to other body believers in this world, and also that's connected to the church in the past and the church that will, that will continue forward before the return of Christ, right? Like, we are part of a church. When God sees us, he, he sees the church, his bride. But what's the message, right? Like, in an unbelieving world, in, in, in a world that, that, that doesn't know Jesus, like, what is our message? What is our vision? Here's the truth, because the truth is, like, there are a lot of churches, and listen, let me, confession time. Like, a lot of churches feel the necessity, right, to, to give you a message or a vision or a strategy that's different from the Bible because they, what we've done is we've decided, we've looked at successful companies and businesses in the world and say, man, their strategy is really good, so let's do that strategy in the church so more people can come. So, so we become like, and, and let me tell you, I love it. Like if it were up to me, listen, if it were up to me, the lights would be dark in here. Smoke that you're coughing up the whole time. It's pumping. Byron's doing backflips off of here, right? Like, I'm on a zip line coming down from that corner to that end, and I'm telling you something about angels flying in the air. Like, I, you know what I mean? We're raffling off F-150s on Father's Day, <laughs> vacation to Disney World on Mother's Day. Like, I, like that's the, I'm joking. Like, that stuff seems appealing, right? But, but, but what ends up happening is churches, like they get the message confused because that's not the message, right? Like the message isn't seven ways to be a good husband or a good wife. The message is, is four ways to be a good Christian in your workplace. That's not the message of scripture, right? Like, and I'm not saying those things are bad, but I'm saying is that churches can get focused on, on, on a strategy to get people in, but the, but the strategy of scripture is way different. It's preach the gospel and hope they don't kill you. That's the, that, that's the message of scripture, right? Not, not like, oh, here's the message, cover it up in a, nice, uh, in a nice gift and basket with a bow on top and make it look appealing to other people and watch them like you and love you and be your friend forever and ever. Like, that's what we do here these days. And trust me, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. Sometimes I like, I, sometimes I feel like, like, oh, we gotta, that's what we gotta do because our culture is so different and, you gotta find ways, and, and some of that is true, that we have, to, we have to find ways to connect with younger people so that they can understand and hear the gospel, but, but the message doesn't change, and the vision doesn't change, right? Amen? Nod your head, say yes. Okay, good. So, but, but what is the message, right? I'm taking a long time to get there, but, but what is the message? I think Paul talks about it here in Acts 24. So what's happening, really quickly, Paul has been moved to Caesarea to stand trial before Felix, the governor of the region, because Paul's nephew finds out, hey, the Jews, the Jewish leaders, they decided that they don't want to actually put you in prison. This is what they decided. They actually want to kill you. So they have a plot to kill you. So we got to get you out. So the commanding Roman um, authority decides we're going to send you to Felix, the governor of the region, and you'll stand trial before him. And hopefully this goes away because we can't have any issues in Jerusalem. So he goes and stands trial. They have a lawyer. The, the, The Jewish leaders have a lawyer. And the lawyer accuses him of three things. Being a plague, being a ringleader, um, imagine that, imagine like, like you got arrested and you went to court 
And the judge asks the person, why are you guys here today? And the person says, well, because this person is obnoxious and annoying. Like, imagine that. Like, wait, what? That's exactly what they accuse him of. Like, they accuse Paul of being a burden to the community. Um, so, so he stands trial. And this is what Paul's defense is. Look at verse 14. Paul says, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. So he, what he's saying is that like, I believe in, 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 in the message that has already been believed by many people before. Verse 15, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Okay, so if you like to highlight, underline, underline that. Like, like what is he talking about? Like, he's not talking about, why would he mention that? Why does he mention the resurrection of the just and the unjust? We'll talk about that in a minute. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience. There we go again. Paul said that before. We talked about that, right? Like, remaining faithful. Take pains to have a clear conscience. Remaining faithful before who? God and man. Now, after several years, I've, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this, all right, here, this is it. This is the message. This is what he wants everybody to know. This is the main message, right? Other than this, one thing I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you. Okay, two things we're gonna answer today. What is the message and the vision of the church? And here's the message, it's very simple. This is what makes us different from every other religion. Look at me for a second. Like, this is what makes us different from Islam. This is what makes us different from, from Hinduism, from Buddhism, and any world belief, right? This is it, right here. You ready? This is the message. The message is simple. Christ rose from the dead. Right, so, so while other religions and other belief systems, what they worship and what they claim uh, popularity to, right? Like they worship people who have passed long gone, who, who they respect and revere are people who are no longer with us. We as a body of believers believe, firmly believe and have faith that the God that we serve is not a God who used to live, right? We don't serve a God who at one time lived. We serve a God who is living, Right, so, so when we worship God, we're not worshiping with great affinity someone who existed before. What we're worshiping, who we're worshiping, is someone who's always existed, who still exists, and in fact, they would try to kill him. He died, but what? He rose from the grave, right? So that's what makes us different. That is the difference about Christianity. I said this before, I heard it somewhere, I don't know, but like this idea like, Mohammed never rose from the grave. Buddha didn't rise from the grave, right? Like, think about some, some cults in our culture, right? Think about Jim Jones. Jim Jones didn't rise from the grave. David Koresh didn't rise from the grave, right? 
Every person who's ever claimed to be a Messiah has never rose from the grave. But who has? Jesus. That's what makes us different. In fact, it makes us so different that it ought to stir in our hearts every single day feelings towards Jesus in ways that no one could ever have. Like, we ought to wake up in the morning with great humility and reverence before a God, knowing fully well that he didn't have to do what he did. Do you know that? Like, God didn't have to send his son to die on the cross for our sins. He wanted to send him. And the son willingly accepted. So, so when, we, when we think about the message, it's not like a slogan, right? Like, it's not, just, it's not just like something good and palatable for people. It is a gospel truth that we hold firmly from Scripture. Jump with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 961, really quickly. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Verse 1. Listen, let me say this too. Everything we believe about the Bible, look at me, everything we believe about the Bible hinges, right? Even God's faithfulness hinges this one idea, that Christ rose from the dead. If Jesus doesn't come out of that tomb, right? Like think about it. If we were back then there, if standing before um, um, Calvary or, 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 or among the disciples and apostles, thinking about what just happened, if Jesus doesn't come out of that grave, we're messed up. We're, we got bigger problems than, than our own anxiety, fear, and problems in the world. Think about it. Like, like if he doesn't come out of the grave, the, the problems that you have at work and in your marriage, the problems that you have with your kids, the problems that you have in your community, the problems that we have in politics, the problems that we have with candidates and, and, and political parties is nothing compared to the problem that we have. You know what that problem is, right? Sin and death. Because then guess what happens? Sin and death is far more powerful than Christ. Sin and death has a stronghold not only on us but our Savior. So if he doesn't come out of the grave, our problems mean nothing because we got a bigger problem. But, but what does Paul say? This is the message. Once again, this is hinges on everything we believe in. About the cross, about the Old Testament, New Testament, the church now, and our future hope. Hinges on this very idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Which you received in which you stand, right? So it's not only like something that you were given, but something that's foundational to your belief system, something that you stand on, something that is important to the vitality of our Christian walk and by which you've been, you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain, for I deliver to you as a first importance. What is the importance that he's delivered to them? Look at it. Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to Scripture. And he appeared to Caiaphas, that's Peter, 
Then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, right? So what is the most important message that we have is that Christ rose from the grave. That should do something to us. Like if, if you're feeling apathetic in your faith, like there needs to be an evaluation in your own heart and in your mind about the truth of scripture. And we all become apathetic in our faith because that's what sin has done to us, right? Like it has marred every part of us, the way we think and the way we feel. But like, like when we read this passage and when we read like Acts 24, Peter, I mean, Paul was ready to die for this one idea, right? Like, like, like think about that. All the disciples and all the apostles were ready to die and many of them died at the hands of other people for this belief. And the belief is that Jesus rose from the grave. I mean, think about, think about the reason why we're here, right? Like the, the reason why we're here is because many Christians throughout generations have died, have been tortured. Why? Because they firmly believe in the resurrection of Jesus, right? The reason why you and I have liberty in this country, the reason why you and I can gather together here today is because throughout the generations, the church has advanced the gospel, proclaiming what? The risen savior. That should be extremely important to us and help us fight apathy in our faith. So, so what's the implication of this? What, what does it mean for us? What does it mean, right? Like, look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's saying is like, if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, how can you say the rest of us are not gonna be raised from the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, meaning if there's no resurrection for us, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain, right? This is the idea that I was telling you about, that we have bigger problems. If we don't believe that he rose from the grave, if we don't have a firm foundation on his resurrection, we got bigger problems. Verse 15, if we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's for, if it is true, then the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, right? He's repeating this idea. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Imagine that. That not even, like, like he could have died for our sins, but if he wasn't vindicated, then we still would be dead in our sins. That's the power of the, think about that. That's the power of the resurrection, right? It's beyond the cross. The cross, like his blood shed for us, give us salvation. The, 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 the raising of the dead, like when God the Father raised him for the dead was a vindication of not only Jesus, but his work. But if he didn't raise him from the dead, even though if he would have died, what does it mean? We still would have been our sins. Like that's the power of the resurrection. That is the power that we believe in. And look at verse 10, if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, where we are of all people most to be pitied. Think about that idea. That we, we believe in a God who died on the cross for our sins, but if he doesn't come back to life, that you know what? The world should feel sorry for us because we believed in something that wasn't completely true. So, so what's the implication? Let's go back, Acts, 
Acts 24. What's the implication? Here's the implication. Christ rose from the dead. So here's what that means for us. It means that we will rise from the dead too. Very simple, right? Not, not overly theological, but that's the implication. The message is that Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose. That's the, the, the linchpin in our faith that he rose. And what does that mean for us? It means that we too will rise. But, but notice what, what, what Paul says in Acts 24. Look at verse 15. Having a hope in God in which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. What, what is he talking about? Here, let's take a minute to talk about the unjust. What does it mean for the resurrection of the unjust? Here, here's what this means. It means that every single person who's ever lived will be raised to life. And there are two groups. The just, who God has justified, and the unjust. Who are the unjust? The unjust are the people who are damned to hell. The truth that we have to realize this morning, hell's a real place. Look at me. Hell's a real place. There are churches who won't preach about hell. They won't they won't, they're not places that you'll, you'll hear people talk about hell because it's offensive. Because we want people to feel good. But hell's a real place. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, there, there might be people in this room who have yet to put their faith in Jesus. And if you, don't, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, I am sorry, you don't get the opportunity to go see Jesus. You get the opportunity to be separated from Jesus. Right? Jesus talked about hell in the Gospels. Jesus goes in great detail about hell in the gospel. He talks about hell as a place of eternal torment. He talks about it as a place where, where people would be gnashing of teeth in great and much regret. An eternal fire, right? Hell's a real place. And people are going. People who have not heard the gospel and believed in Jesus and accepted Jesus and followed Jesus, they're going to hell. And people say, oh man, that's unfair. Unfair? Unfair for who? We, we all start there, right? Like, like, think about that. We all deserve hell. Like all of us, every single person start on that slow march to hell. Because why? Our sins separate us from Jesus, right? Like we decided with Adam that we wanted to rebel against God's plan and his purposes. So we all start in the same place. All of us are going to hell. That is what's fair. Fair is, right, that, that we are punished for our sins. That's fair, right? So when people say it's not fair, no, 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 it is fair. You know what's unfair? That God had to, God had to create a plan so he could send his son to die. What's unfair is that an innocent man died on the cross for our sins, right? That he did not commit. He was accused of a crime that he didn't commit. That's unfair. What's unfair is, right, that, that he had to be brutally murdered, tortured on the cross, humiliated. In fact, Christ is still humiliated in the sense that an unbelieving world, right, look at Christ and make fun of that work that he's done. That is unfair. It's not unfair that we deserve help. 
it's not unfair. So when people say it's unfair, no, 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 that's not. We all start in that same place. And that is the truth. That is the gospel truth. And as Kayla said before, right, you, you can't hear the good news unless you know the bad news. And unfortunately, people don't know the bad news. How sad it is that many of us, right, know people in our families. And I, listen, I'm the first one to tell you. I'm the first one to tell you that, like, I am very comfortable around being with Christians, living with Christians in community. It's very easy, right? Because, because you don't, you get to live your authentic self and people don't necessarily judge you, right? But to live a life among unbelievers is very difficult, right? Because, like, you know that there's constant, like, evaluation of your work and, and of your life. But, but the truth is, like, how are they supposed to know the good news if we haven't told them? Um, I'm going to read you a quote real quick. How many of you know um, Penn and Teller? Raise your hand. They're a comedy, uh, comedy duo. Um, Penn, I don't know his last name. Um, he said this some time ago. And, and he's an atheist, by the way. So when I heard this, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I read it, and then I was like, oh, I got convicted. Like, you're, the hum came back. You know, I have a hum that stays with me on a regular basis. Um, and it's that, like, anxiety. It's like, oh, my gosh, the conviction. And this, this is what Penn said um, about, about hell, about the gospel. He says... I've always said that I don't respect people who do not evangelize or proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not get eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And then he says, atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? This is an atheist saying that. And that is not necessarily what we feel, but that's what our actions communicate, right? Like what he's saying is that the, the church who believe in the resurrection of our Lord, who believe in the resurrection of life and who have life, who will see him face to face. Like you know that you have eternal life and you know that many people will not have eternal life and yet you won't say anything. And he's saying you must hate them really bad to want them to go to hell. That is... When I read that, I was like, ooh. Right? Because, like, he's kind of right. Like, we're so afraid in our workplace not to talk about Jesus. But then one day we're going to have to stand before him and say, I was nervous. I don't think that's going to go well, right? Like, 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 you and I have the beauty of the gospel to tell people how much he loved them, how much he wants to save them from themselves, from sin and death, and yet, it's too awkward. Or our family members, right? Where Thanksgiving's coming around, everyone's coming over, but we're not gonna talk about two things, Jesus and politics. In my house, we talk about both. It gets fiery. 
particularly on the political side. I have strong opinions and I like to poke the bear. But think about it, right? Like, well, Thanksgiving dinner, we're not gonna talk about it. Why? Because we'd rather enjoy the temporary peace than have to, have to confront the truth. But here's the good news. Wanna hear the good news? Here's the beauty of the good news. Let me read to you Romans 5. Huh. For a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. What is he saying? He's like, we wouldn't die for someone who was bad. We probably, we might die for someone who, who is good, right? Like, like nobody in this room, I promise you, nobody in this room would, would sacrifice their own son so that everyone can have life. I guarantee you, you wouldn't do it. Verse eight, but God shows his love. Wow. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, right? So here's the good news. The good news is that it doesn't end with all of us going to hell. The good news is that we can have life and we can have it now and we can have it forever, right? Like what does Ezekiel say, right? Ezekiel says, I, this is on God's behalf. He says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord, so turn and live. God doesn't, it's not happy about the idea that people have to go to hell. But the reason why God allows it, the reason why God created hell is so that he is holy and just and he has to be consistent to his character and his glory. It would be unfair for him not to do it, but he doesn't delight in it. It's not like he's like excited about it. Why? Because it's eternal separation from him. God has always created us to be with him, right? He wouldn't create us if he didn't want to be with us. But the truth is that, that we are going to help. But the better truth is there's a way out for you, for your loved one, for your coworker, right? Like there's a way out. And the way out is the power of the gospel. This is why Paul was in trial. This is why he stands trial, for the resurrection of the dead. That is the hope that we believe in. So, so, so let's some, let me give you two practical things, and we'll end. Two practical things. In light of what we believe in today, right, that Christ died, we too will live. What, what does that mean for us? Like, how does... How does my life look differently in light of that truth? Like, ask that question to yourself. Like, how does your life look differently knowing that Christ died from the grave and that you will be raised to life? If you believe in Jesus, you're going to see him. If you don't, you're not. Like, how does your life look differently? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two things. First thing is that, that our life should look differently, that where we should have compassion, for unbelievers and have an eagerness and a desire to share the gospel, right? Like, like that's, that's how you live out the resurrection. By having an eagerness to tell people that they need Jesus and they need him now. That's how you live in light of the gospel, right? Like the other thing is simple. We should have hope. 
We live so much in a hopeless world where we find our purpose and our identity, we find our value and worth in relationships, in, in career, finances, in children, in marriages. Like, like we find all our identity in that and then what ends up happening, we become hopeless because those things can't provide hope. Those things can't provide peace. Those things can't provide the joy that we're looking for. So what provides us the hope? The hope is the resurrection for you and me. So like when you observe an unbelieving world in a sinful world, like, like for people here who are struggling with, with health, where people here are struggling with mental illnesses, where, where people are struggling with, with broken marriages and, and broken relationships, when people are experiencing wayward children, right? Like gender identity and gender fluidity and cancel culture and this and that. Like when we're already experiencing that and seeing it and seeing the depravity of man and sin, what should we do? What should we have? Hope that it's only temporary. Hope in a future with Jesus. Hope in a future where sin and death is ultimately defeated, right? We have hope now knowing that sin, like you know, you, look at me. Did you know that sin and death have no power over you? Did you know that? Like, we are overcomers, not by our works, but by his work, right? So, so the things that we're struggling with today, remember, it has been defeated. Like, the thing that brings you angst is the thing that has no power over you. You have given it power with your thoughts and your actions. It's been defeated. So walk in hope. That's the power of the resurrection. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the resurrection of your son, Jesus. We thank you that it is the message of the gospel. Lord, we thank you, God, that we serve a God who's not dead. You are alive. We serve a God who has defeated sin and death. We serve a God who sits on a throne, who rules and reigns over everything. So Lord, I ask you and plead with you that we would be daily reminded of the hope of the resurrection and that we would be convicted, convicted to live it out with purpose and meaning for the glory of your son and the betterment of your people. And God, I pray that if there are opportunities for us to witness and share the gospel, that we will be bold and open up our mouth and declare the glory of your son, Jesus. God, help us not to live in fear, but help us to live, God, in joy and in hope. We pray this in the precious name of your son and the people of God's say. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.